0: Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald.
1: And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson.
0: And we we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback.
1: Feed us. (laughs) Feed us.
0: Did you like... um, I don't think I've ever watched all of Little Shop of Horrors.
1: Oh. Uh, Uh, I don't know if I've ever watched all of it either. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me. Feed me. We are. Di- we are like. We are not even a minute into the episode, and we're like off on discourses. Impressive. Impressive. What's that? Is that Worf?
0: Darth Vader. Oh, okay. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. If you've got t- questions about today's episode, <laughs> if you've got ideas for future episodes, please <laughs> suggestions
1: of different hosts. Contact us, please. You can email us ignition. I-G-N-I-T-I-O-N at S-F-Catholic, S-F-C-A-T-H-O-L-I-C dot org. You can also tweet at us. The Twitter handle is at S-F-Diocese, S-F-D-I-O-C-E-S-E, and the hashtag is Ignition. Who are you, Darth Vader? (laughs) Impressive. (laughs) I am your... See, I just said that to you because you could say, as a
0: priest... more likely that you're my father than I can say to you because I'm not really your father and I've imparted many things to you, but... (laughs) But you're not Darth Vader either. (laughs) I am Chris Bergwald, Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, been in that role for almost 15 years, Um, been in a far greater role for almost 18 years and that is husband uh, to Jermaine and with her we have five children.
1: And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls in my, just starting my 12th year of priesthood. And I'm the director of the Pope Pius Twelfth Newman Center, which serves South Dakota State University. Go big, go blue, go Jacks. And I'm the pastor of St. Paul's Parish in White, South Dakota, a mission with a mission.
0: There we go. Um, so last week, we uh, Father and I spoke about, we tried to to say something intelligible about (laughs) the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, because the Sunday prior to that, we had celebrated uh, Trinity Sunday. So uh, we wrap up the Easter season every year with Pentecost. And the following Sunday, we celebrate the Trinity. And then here in the United States, the Sunday after that, uh, we celebrate as a church, the Solemnity of Corpus Christi. Uh, which is a Latin phrase which means the body of Christ. Uh, So this past Sunday, uh, if you uh, attended Mass, prayed the Mass, um, you would have uh, participated in the Solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, um, a Sunday when we focused in in a particular way on Jesus' true, substantial, real, and unique presence to us in the Most Holy Eucharist, uh, body, blood, soul, and and divinity. Um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time today uh, because we've already got our inane banter out of the way in the first minute of the episode. <laughs> Check that off the list. <laughs> so we got that out of the way. So we're going to spend uh, spending today's episode talking about uh, a little bit more about the Eucharist, about the solemnity of Corpus Christi, but particularly the doctrine that it points to. Yes, which is... The Eucharist. So, uh, I thought you made a great point when we were prepping this episode, father had a great point. Um, it stands out because that happens so infrequently, uh, that
1: come on, nothing.
0: No, no uproar, no cries of outrage. I was thinking, I was
1: thinking of a dire Darth Vader response to give to you, but I
0: couldn't.
1: So I thought of saying, no,
0: (laughs) nice. Um, so during, uh, just mentioned how we just re- celebrated, wrapped up East, East, Easter season. Just before the Easter season begins, of course, we have Holy Week. And Father, Holy Thursday, I think if you think about uh, the Eucharist, Holy right. Thursday might often come to mind because- Because the day
1: the Mass was instituted. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist and of the New Testament priesthood at the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday night. Um, so why why do you think the church might give us this usually early summer Sunday to reflect again
1: on the Eucharist. You know, um, I said that it was more a chance for kind of like uh, the people to take part in it and to really just kind of soak up the idea of the, uh, the doctrine itself, because at Holy Thursday, you're at the start of the triduum uh, and you're kind of just like a lot of things are coming at you all at once. You had Palm Sunday, you're doing confessions, you're getting ready for Easter, you got Holy Thursday, you got Good Friday to worry about, and so there's all these things going on. Just chances just to focus on the sacrament itself and especially for the faithful.
0: Right. Right. So
1: and because Holy Thursday is not a holy day of obligation. Ah, Corpus Christi is a holy day of obligation. Great
0: point. That's a great point. It's a really good and it's some good snapping too. Thank you. Um
1: yeah, so so I think I got I to savor the flavor because apparently this doesn't happen very often. <laughs>
0: um, I, I, those of us who are obviously you as a priest, me as somebody who strives to be a committed layman, um, I participate in the Triduum, the, the, the most holy three days of the year that begins Holy Thursday evening and goes through Easter Sunday. So I, I go to Holy Thursday Mass, Good Friday Liturgy, the Easter Vigil, etc. Uh, forgetting, though, that it's not obligatory to be there on Thursday. So you're right. right. So so there are many people who, uh, for whatever reason, may not participate in that mass. And now they have an opportunity to hear in particular about this beautiful doctrine.
1: And, and to just, yeah, in a way that they don't, because you really get a very light covering of it, if at, if all, at all, on Palm Sunday, right? which is the only obligatory day. Of uh, uh, around that time of the Passion, exactly. I thought you, you another another great point that you made. Wait, fun. what? I know
0: this is like three. Oh my goodness! And we're just six and a half minutes into this episode. Oh,
1: wow! I, I'm gonna step out and grab a Snickers bar because why? Well, wait, <laughs> uh, edition is brought to you by Snickers. <laughs> no, 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 don't, do that.
0: Really? The other reality that we're that the the Corpus Christi. Oh yeah, is yeah, post. Yeah. Easter yes. season, I'm going to give it to you
1: because it was your point. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so it highlights the fact that it is the resurrected body and blood of our Lord that we receive in the Holy Eucharist. Well, And why? Why? What, how, how is that? What do you mean by how is that? Uh, okay. <laughs> because it's after, after Easter. Oh, yes. It's after Easter. It emphasizes the fact that when we receive the Eucharist, whether we're receiving it in Lent, whenever we're receiving it on the 28th. Sunday in Ordinary Time, we're receiving the resurrected body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. Because it is his resurrected body that has properties that are beyond the natural body that allow us to receive it, uh, number one, under the miracle of this, uh, bre- of the appearance and taste and uh, sensation of bread and wine, uh, but also allows us to receive it uh, throughout time.
0: Right, right. So the fact that,
1: and for me, the... the
0: um, just a concrete example of of what that means. I, I reflect on occasion after I've received Holy Communion um, during Mass and I'm kneeling, uh, giving thanksgiving, and up ahead of me um, is Jesus being distributed to others. Right. So he's within me. He's in my body. But he's also uh, in the ciborium yep. and being distributed to dozens or hundreds of other people. Yeah. That can only happen because he's in his glorified state.
1: Right. And also there's really cool things. I don't know if we want to get into this point now. I don't know if this is on our outline, but like real cool things too about how we receive him uh, for those with maybe some difficulties. Um, It's not on our outline. So I'm going to just say it right now. Um, It's actually, it's a really important point to think about the fact that we receive the resurrected body and blood of our Lord. Yep. Um, Now we offer the Eucharist in the signs of death, body and blood being separated. Right, Because if we separate my blood from my body, I am... Dead. Dead. Uh, Not just mostly dead, I'm dead. And so, uh, but it is the risen body of our Lord that we receive. So when we receive the Eucharist, we're not receiving his body separate from his blood. We are receiving in either species the fullness of his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right. Because if we're receiving him separated, he'd still be... Dead. Not just mostly dead, but dead. But he's not dead, he's alive. Right. And so it's his... um, glorified, resurrected body that we receive in fullness, uh, whether we from the precious blood or from the precious body. So for those with serious gluten allergies, serious allergies to uh, alcohol, you can be consoled to know that you can receive under one of the species and receive the fullness. Or maybe you prefer that father would give you from the chalice all times and father doesn't give you the chalice at all times you can be consoled to know you receive the fullness of the body and blood, soul and the our Lord Jesus Christ, under either one.
0: Right. And I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I do think that sometimes um, people can be, um, uh, not necessarily agitated, but disappointed. Disappointed.
1: Uh, I've encountered agitation. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, that they can't receive it. Because there's a there's a symbolism there, and I I
1: get that. Yeah, and, I'm, and in some ways, we almost have undermined... Yeah. the doctrine with the emphasis on the symbolism yeah. of both
0: species. Right, right. So so the th- that consolation, is you said, that when I receive one of the species, whether it's just the consecrated host or, it's, or whether it's just the chalice— Which would be a little rare to do that. But, right, yeah. right. But as you said, I know for, for my parish, for those who have gluten allergies, we were able to offer them um, communion only under the species yeah. of the precious blood. And they are receiving body, blood, soul, and divinity—the living Christ, full and complete. Yep, yep. So thank you for. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm
1: glad that you. Um, whoa, whoa! Is that my fourth good point? Oh, at, at least I've lost. Uh-huh. At this point, I've lost track. Well, I'm just going to go take a nap, and you just finish this one. up. <laughs> I don't think
0: so. You're stuck here at least for a little while. Uh-oh. Um, anything else you want to say before we get into the exposition of the doctrine, unpacking the doctrine? Uh, more systematic. Let's unpack the doctrine. Unpack the doctrine. So, uh pack it up, pack it in. Let, let me, me begin. <laughs> <Whoa>! <laughs> don't listen to that. Don't, don't, don't pull it up. Um the doctrine don't Shazam that of the Eucharist at minute 11. The the doctrine of the Eucharist. Uh we'll get into scripture here in a minute, but just we have already addressed sort of what is it, but just to be clear, what what the Catholic Church teaches, what the truth is is that when the priest says the words of consecration, um, over the host and over the wine, so uh, unleavened bread, unleavened bread, um, and the 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 grape wine. Then, uh, and has the intention to do what the church intends with the sacrament. Then, when he says those words. Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity becomes present in each of the what we call the species. We, we've used that term. So, in the consecrated host, that becomes Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, the what was wine becomes. Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Both species retain their appearances. So, they're what the church technically refers to as their accidents. Uh, What Hmm. that's a technical philosophical term that refers to the characteristics that we sense what they look like, what it smells like, what it tastes like. It still tastes like bread. It still tastes like wine. But the substance, the inner reality of what it really is, as opposed to how it tastes, looks, et cetera, it has now become Jesus Christ.
1: Right. In, in, in and uh, when you use the word accidents, uh, can you explain maybe where that word comes from? Because when, when I hear accidents, or in a modern listener hears accidents, we think of like, my brakes don't work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I tripped and
0: fell. Um, and that really,
1: <laughs>
0: well, pun intended now, tripped me up when I first, uh, during my reversion, I was reading St. Thomas Aquinas and he's talking about substance and so accidents. So you're having an accident
1: and like, over accidents? Yeah, it, it
0: totally was. Um, it comes from Aristotelian philosophy. So, so Aristotle, the ancient Greek philosopher in his contemplation of the nature of reality, uh, developed at this, uh, arrived at this theory, which is technically called hylomorphism. That is that, that all things, um, that we see around us that we interact with have an inner substance of what they are, but then it has, they have characteristics or what he called accidents that change, um, over time. So, uh, Father and I are both human persons. Right. He's bearded and I am not.
1: I'm stroking my beard.
0: Right I'm now. tall. He is not. Or whatever.
1: Right. Well, it's, My feet touch the ground.
0: <laughs> so we have different characteristics. Um, our appearances, et cetera, vary. But the substance we have, we, are bo- we have the same nature, the, a human nature. Um, we're not the same people, but we share in the same nature, but we have different uh, characteristics, outward characteristics. Right. Uh, is that a fair— and That's a
1: great way to describe accidents. Okay. And so, like as we said, so things like the taste of bread, the calories of the bread, uh, the alcohol itself, uh, the taste of the wine, those are accidental properties to wine, while the substance of bread and wine change to become the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Our Lord, Those accidental properties do not—
0: Right. And so that's why you hear that the church has come to describe this reality, this change, this transformation that occurs as transubstantiation. Right. Because the substance has
1: changed. The substance transforms. Yes, exactly. So more than meets the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) You're surprised on that one?
0: I you know, I I I, I wasn't I I didn't see it coming. Oh, okay. So I should have. Yeah. Uh, you are yeah. listening to Ignition, a radio show a broadcast for the New Evangelization. I'm Chris Bergwald.
1: And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And if you have questions about today's episode, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. You can also tweet at us.
0: Use the Twitter handle at SFDiocese with the hashtag Ignition. We're talking today about the Eucharist. We've just celebrated Corpus Christi Sunday this last Sunday. And we are talking now about the church's teaching on the Eucharist. So, Father, let's dive into one of your favorite areas that is the scriptural background of, in this case, the Eucharist.
1: I love the Bible. Amen, brother. I love Father. the Bible. So, uh, yeah, there's, we could go into a lot of depth on this, but we don't have that much time. But there's a lot of great Old Testament antecedents about the Holy Eucharist. Yes, Dr. Berger, do you have a question. Yes, I do. I, I <laughs> Don't you hate it? eric gallagher my
0: colleague uh uh took a took a class from tim gray president of the gustin institute Mm -hmm. and dr gray would say you know there's just so much here that we could talk about but i just don't have time so and eric and i were joking about that how you know that whole thing when somebody gets well, there's so much for me to say but we just don't have enough time so i just when you said that I was reminded of that and it brought a smile to my face and I had to insert it even though it's completely irrelevant. Cool story, bro. Because that's what we do here in Ignition.
1: <laughs> You're saying antecedents? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, the Old Testament antecedents. By the way, this actually brings up a great Tim Brown topic, uh, a uh, Tim, Tim Gray topic of uh, intertextuality. Ooh. Ooh. Where, yeah, where scripture passages refer to other scripture passages. Right. But we don't have time for that. <laughs> Uh so uh so we can look at the Exodus uh story and uh the lamb of sacrifice in Exodus Exodus 14 uh or Exodus 13 as well as the blood of the covenant in Exodus 22 mm-hmm. and the ratification of the new covenant there and the uh, Passover celebrate outside of Egypt you can look at Elijah and uh, him being fed uh bread by the raven underneath the oh, broom oh. tree that's, that's not the one I was
0: alright well oh. is Elijah or is Elisha with the widow and her son
1: that's Elisha it's Elisha okay. Yep. okay and what, what's what's the one with Elisha then
0: uh, so uh, where uh, there's a famine and Elisha comes into I don't remember the town he comes into um, Nain uh, I was thinking the widow of Nain could Nain. be or no, it's I think, Jesus fine, but I think they both have a widow same? of Nain okay. um, intertextuality I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look it up uh, where Alicia tells this woman to make him something. She's like, well, I just had enough flour to make a cake for my son and I, and then we're going to die. But since you asked me to fine, no, she does That's, that's me. And, um, That's I-, <laughs> I, said, I said, Jesus where you read into the text, something that's not really there. Um, So she, she goes ahead and makes Alicia uh, a cake. And lo and behold, she has enough flour to make bread for her and her son for a year.
1: Yeah. And then they fun. died. Maybe it is Elijah Elijah then. Because it was Elijah. Anyways. And then also there's another Old Testament antecedent of Melchizedek, who offers bread and wine as a offering to the Most High God, and you can go into a lot of intertextuality with Melchizedek because references him in Psalm 110. We have references to him in Hebrews as well, although he just appears in a very short, like three verses of Genesis. Genesis. But the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament Christians love Melchizedek as a foretaste, a type, uh, a typology of Jesus Christ offering this pleasing sacrifice to God of bread and wine it, that he offers to uh, to God on behalf of Abraham from right. Abraham's victory right abraham so abraham this man chosen by god
0: as 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 the father of uh, many peoples by which the nations will be blessed abraham seeks blessing from this frankly mysterious figure melchizedek who is a priest as you said and a king king of Uh, Salem, Salem, which is the Jerusalem, which is Jerusalem. So the priest King of Jerusalem
1: offers a sacrifice of bread and wine. And who is Jesus Christ? Hmm. The true son of David, the true priest King of Jerusalem, who offers a sacrifice to the most high God under the form of bread and wine before he fully and completely offers it on the cross to the praise of the Holy and blessed Trinity. (laughs) That's really, uh, intertextuality. Antecedent. Yeah, but, and so Hebrews references Melchizedek a good bit, yeah. as does uh, Psalm 110. You are right. a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which is something claimed about who? Uh, who's, who's claimed to be a priest forever? David. Even though he's not of a priestly exactly. cast, Exactly, Right, which is why they really tie that in with Jesus, because he's not of the priestly family of? Uh, Levi.
0: There you go. By the way, Bishop Robert Barron has a great commentary in Second Samuel, which gets into a lot of this, because it's about David's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Priesthood. The, yeah, and and him him coming on the scene about David's career, basic life and times. Um, I, I would say for the he, life and times of a young Jewish king. Exactly. Uh, if you want more though on the Old Testament antecedents, uh, Father yep. and I both highly recommend Brent Petrie's book, uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Yep. it's P I T R E. Brent Petrie.
1: Is it pronounced a Petrie?
0: He's he's pronounced a Petrie. Yeah. But does it look like
1: Petrie? Is he's Louisiana? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So if you ever listen to him, he's got a nice little drawl. He
0: teaches teaches a seminary
1: down there. And uh, yeah, it's a great book. You won't look at the Sunday mass the same again, or at the Our Father. Right. Which is one of the things we wanted to mention about some scripture references is the Our Father. uh, We have, I don't know if you ever noticed listeners that in the English translation, we have an odd occurrence. where We have a redundancy. Give us this day Mm -hmm. our Daily. daily bread.
0: Yeah, day and daily, right? Give us this day our day daily, daily bread. Our
1: daily bread, and now in some ways that's a reference to another Old Testament. When Jesus makes our Father, it's an intertextual reference to another Old Testament occurrence of the precursor of the Eucharist, the manna from heaven, daily, right? The bread from heaven that falls down the Jewish people in the forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Yep, uh, which they would gather each day. Oh, right. They gathered each day and they they couldn't save up for a second day unless it was the eve of the Sabbath. Uh, They gather enough for each day and that was their daily bread. Right. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Brent Petrie in his book points out the fact that the word for daily, it says, give us this day, not our daily, but in some ways our uh, heper substantia. Uh, Something like that. uh, Our our super substantial bread, our uh, heavenly bread. In that way, so referencing the true bread from heaven. So in some ways, in the Our Father, there's a reference looking ahead to what he'll do at the Last Supper and the cross with the Eucharist.
0: So so the Our Father daily bread really seems to be—it's refer- not obvious, but it seems that it's referring actually to the Eucharist, which, in fact, we can receive on a daily basis. Exactly. Yep.
1: Uh, and then uh, there's other great uh, scripture uh, references to uh, the Eucharist. There's, of course, the, the actual Last Supper institutions in uh, Matthew, Mark. And Luke, uh, Luke 22, I know for sure. I think it's maybe Matthew 26, Mark 15. I don't remember the chapters? Yeah, ch- they didn't write in chapters. That's okay. And then in John chapter 6, there's also the reference to the Eucharist there, and a great discussion there about people being uncomfortable with how Jesus is teaching about it.
0: Right, right. So Jesus um, starts to speak very plainly uh, if, if you want eternal life, you must eat my body and drink my blood. And understandably, not just crowds, but some of his disciples. Yeah. John tells us hey. were weirded out by, hey. uh, uh, that? how can he give us his flesh to eat? Yeah, um, which just okay at the normally the the basic human level is a little bit repellent. It seems like cannibalism, mm-hmm. but especially for the Jews, <laughs> a little repellent. Well, yeah, yeah, a <laughs> lot repellent. But for the Jews in particular, they avoided the blood because the blood contained the life. Right. So you always you never drank the blood of an animal.
1: And still so to this day, a Jew who eats kosher. Uh, They slaughter their animals in such a way the blood is drained. Exactly. Uh, I know uh, veterinarians who have done inspections of kosher slaughterhouses.
0: Exactly. Yep. So, uh, Jesus
1: is saying you have to eat the flesh and drink the blood. So, this is particularly important for the Jews. Quick little trivia. Yeah. Did you know when Jesus talks about the salt of the earth... Right, you're the salt yeah. of the earth. Yeah. That they use salt to purify blood in the temple when they're slaughtering for temple sacrifices. Really? No, they I didn't. They use know salt that. for that. Yeah. Really. And so you're all, so part of the reason being salt, is you prepare the earth to be brought up into the oh. one great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, that's, Jesus Christ. That that is really. Cool. I got that from the Lanky Guys podcast. Nice. Those they they
0: they have they have a lot of great things themselves. They do. They do um so john chapter 6 jesus gives the spread of life discourse and explains more about the eucharist
1: it's hard not to believe in the eucharist when you read you. i remember john chapter 6 when i was in college and i was reading i was like man the bible is catholic
0: <laughs> amen and so
1: uh another great passage of course would be luke 24 the road to Emmaus. uh
0: so jesus um walks alongside uh, hidden from uh at least his appearance is somehow They don't recognize him. Wow, Uh, yeah. Accidental property. First, he unpacks for them the scriptures, shows everything, and Moses and the prophets points to him. Yep.
1: um, And points to his passion, death, and resurrection. Exactly. And then- Did you not know that the Messiah must first suffer and die?
0: Yeah, at first, he's pretty like, he he puts up with their going the wrong way and so on. But at a certain point, he really gets on their case. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So they get to Emmaus and- he he, After breaks, he gives him the best Bible study of all time, which we and have they no do, idea. Well, that's not true.
1: I have had a time machine. I go back to that Bible study. Yep. yep.
0: Uh, in a mass, uh, he breaks bread and disappears, and they realize that it was Jesus. And he they go back to the other apostles and go back to the apostles and say that he was revealed to us in the breaking of the bread. Boom.
1: Yep. Yep. So That's the second mass ever. Yes, Holy Thursday. It was the first mass, and Easter Sunday is the second mass. Ever. There you go. And then uh, finally, you could also look at First Mission stuff in First Corinthians, where St. Paul talks about discipline with the Eucharist, how seriously he takes the Eucharist. Right. That if you eat of the body and blood unworthily, you drink uh, the guilt of the body and blood upon yourself. Condemnation. Yep. Yeah. So yep. that's kind of some serious stuff.
0: Uh, Father, we have like four, 50 seconds left. What
1: does this matter? Uh, <laughs> well, the feast matters to give public witness. Yeah. In that way to our faith, especially the opportunities of Corpus Christi processions Yep. Uh, to let the world know in a, in a way that you have that, uh, that you show forth your love for Jesus in the Eucharist. Yep. Uh, love is shown in actions more than words. Yep.
0: And the doctrine matters because God not only dwells in our midst, but he comes to dwell within each one of us in the Most Holy Eucharist.
1: Yeah. that you, As we were talking about in other episodes, you don't have to earn his love. Right. Um, but while we have to make sure we're prepared to receive his love, but he still um, desires to come and to be with us, Uh, and that that is the end of the Christian life. The point of the Christian life is that communion with God, to be with him, uh, to love and serve him in this life and to be happy with him forever in the next.
0: And it happens in the fullness on earth in the Most Holy Eucharist and Holy Communion. And that will wrap up episode. Wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet at us at SFDiocese. Use the hashtag Ignition with any questions about today's episodes or, today's episode or ideas for future ones.
1: Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.